You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 31. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to The Lively Show, guys. Today is a special episode. I am going to be the one in the hot seat for this episode. So to host this episode of The Lively Show, I have invited Rachel McDonald, a writer, teacher, and speaker with a blog called InSpacesBetween.com. I asked Rachel for two reasons. One, she has a very lovely Australian accent. And two, because she is definitely someone I regard in a huge way as a peer in the work that I do through Life With Intention. And I wanted to introduce her to Life With Intention Online, the course I've been working on all summer long, rebuilding from the ground up and taking it to a whole new level, by far the most ambitious project I've taken on with by far the most powerful work I've ever done. So I wanted her to get an experience of that course so that she could really talk about this stuff from a really knowledgeable place. She's definitely someone who would be able to tell me if I was barking up the wrong tree or disseminating the wrong information. Thankfully, that's not the case. and She doesn't think that, but I really did want to have someone on who knew what I was talking about and could really honestly, from a really knowledgeable perspective, weigh in on the course. In this episode, she's going to lead me through my journey and I'll just say that she really lets me do a lot of talking. For those that are familiar with me and my journey, I have a feeling you're going to learn new things that you may not have known before. And for those that are just listening to the podcast or rather new to me and my work, hopefully this will give you a really great background on where I am and where, more importantly, I've come from. So let's go to the show. Jess, this is so exciting having you in the hot seat today. Hello. Hi. I'm kind of nervous, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's I'm feeling really honored to be here turning the tables and I want to just dive straight into it so let's start at the beginning tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today all right so I'm try not to go on forever because it's kind of a rambling story when I was 15 years old I was making some ugly ankle bracelets at a pool And these women came up to me and saw me making them. And I was just making them for myself from some instructions I downloaded off the internet. (laughs) But they were like, would you be willing to sell them to us? So I said, sure. So I made like, I think five bracelets for $6. I figured, you know, I sat at the pool and I just made $30. Not a bad way to be. So I just kind of kept going from that point on. I ended up selling jewelry and learning how to make other things as I went. So I started selling to people, my friends, the teachers I had and started going on my boat in Michigan with my family. And we would go to these different ports and it was really boring because there's no internet. So you couldn't talk to your friends and you didn't have cell phones. (laughs) The tragedy of that. (laughs) I could have written a really emo book about it, I guess, back then when I was younger and how sad that was. But the beautiful thing about it was that it helped me stay really focused on the one thing I could do, which was make jewelry. So I sold it to different stores on these trips and they kind of became impromptu sales trips. So I got into 12 stores in high school with that simple approach of like a makeup bag from Old Navy with jewelry in it, going to these stores on these extended boat trips with my family. So that is where my business experience began. And I ended up going to the University of Michigan Roth School of Business for business school when I went into college. And I decided I wanted to have a huge jewelry empire because <laughs> that was just seemed the logical next step from what I've been doing so far. So I got in, it was very competitive, 
I actually thought I would be learning how to run a business and how to take my empire to the next level. But I didn't learn that at all. So it was a pretty challenging and tough time, actually, to be in a place where I was pitted against people with very different strengths and where they were rewarding very different strengths than what I had. So that was pretty tough. There was a really great blessing in that period in college. I ended up going to therapy for stuff that had happened in my childhood. It's not easy. And it because it involves other people, I don't share it publicly. I'll just say that it was a really difficult time to be facing all of these things that I hadn't really faced yet and going to school in this really extreme environment where we are basically being prepared and groomed to be like work hard, play hard kind of philosophy or that kind of life. Mm. I was trying to figure out what I really believed for the first time, having kind of gone through my childhood and then looking back on it, like what did I believe and what did I really want for myself? So that quarter life crisis that people go through, I feel like I went through that at 22 or 21 instead of 25 or 26. So I just went through it sooner. Um, And I know you've had one of those, I feel like, in your own journey as well, Rachel. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think probably earlier, similar to you, it happened a bit earlier than that um, 25. It seems to happen for the rest of us. So tell us a little bit more about that. What did that look like for you? I was sitting there binge eating candy bars. I had for nine years of my life pretty much been obsessed with eating. It was a way of something I could control when the other stuff was going on that I couldn't control. So it was a distraction essentially. So for four or five years of my life, I was underweight and I was obsessively checking my calories. And it was the thing I thought about more than anything else. And then after that therapy point, it kind of tipped to the other side of the scales. Uh, And literally, actually, I tipped to the other side of the scale. I started binge eating candy bars and three at a time, you know, while going through this whole journey. And I was very miserable. I was definitely seeking whatever I could to to make myself feel perfect or complete because I felt so imperfect and incomplete at that time. So I'm binge eating candy bars. I'm buying my first coach purse, hoping that's going to make me feel better. I'm hoping that if I date the right guy, I'll feel better. If I buy the right lipstick, which I don't even wear lipstick, but maybe that would make me feel better. I didn't really know what would help. And so eventually in that journey, I started doing a lot of reflection about what I believed and what was true for me. And in that journey of reading into self-discovery, I found this quote about Michelangelo. And they asked Michelangelo about the statue of David, which is a beautiful marble statue of a naked guy you've probably seen before in history books or maybe in real life in Italy. (laughs) Basically, they asked him, how could he possibly create such a beautiful sculpture out of what is essentially just a piece of stone? How could he make something out of stone? And he said he saw it very differently. It wasn't about creating something out of nothing. It was about seeing the potential and then removing the layers that were hiding the potential within. So he didn't create it. He just revealed it. And when I heard that, it literally was this like seismic shift in my being. It was like, oh, like the angels started singing. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is what I am meant to learn. This is what I'm struggling with, literally. And I knew I knew and I knew and I knew that there was a lot of people out there also struggling with this thought that we're taught in society that we need to create something out of nothing. And we need to be this force that creates versus the thing that reveals the potential within ourselves. 
And it was a huge shift. It was just a paradigm shift completely. I started realizing the person I wanted to be was not Jessica Simpson, who at the time, you know, was like Daisy Dukes, you know, that whole thing. I wanted to be her versus (laughs) me, which is like 20 pounds overweight. And really... I didn't want to be Jessica Simpson. I wanted to be Jessica Constable. That was my maiden name at the time. I just didn't want to be me with all the fat from the candy bars that I shoved in my mouth that semester. So I didn't really need to have a whole new wardrobe, though wouldn't that be awesome? I really needed to let go of all the crappy Forever 21 clothes that I bought and I didn't really enjoy. So it was initially about removing excess and that was fantastic, but it didn't really work for every area very clearly. So for the next eight years, I was really on this quest to figure out how to approach things from Michelangelo's perspective in a more comprehensive and like cohesive way. And I then wanted to learn that so I could then teach it and really just help other people to do the same. Mm, I love that. There's a few things that, that sort of pop up to me there. Firstly, I love how in, in other conversations we've had, I love how you call it exfoliating. You you really started exfoliating these various areas of your life. And I, I just, that word always stands out to me as being so visual and so descriptive of what was actually going on. Um, the other thing is how when we're ready for that wisdom or ready for particular guidance in the way that you were obviously very ready for this Michelangelo quote to sort of hit you right at that time and for you to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to run with this. This is exactly what I've been looking for. I've got, I'm reaching for these things externally. I'm looking for the candy bar or, you know, going through college and having the emphasis very much on achievement and accomplishment. You had all these things going on externally and it was like something just just really hit you. And I know a big part of your upcoming program, Life with Intention, has been born out of this eight-year exploration that you you went on. And I mean, firstly, that's that's a huge thing to really have that real life experience with something to have researched to have experimented to to really dive quite deeply onto this like you have I know your program has been born out of that so I would love to find out a bit more tell us how it all came together from that first realization that first spark through to where you are now That's a great question. And it really actually stems also to what's parallel as I'm doing this journey on my own and how it then eventually weaves through more and more to my career. So I had that moment, that aha, that Michelangelo, oh my gosh, angel singing thing. I'm still the same college person I was before. I still wasn't that much better. I did have a new awareness about what could be possible, but I had to go from there and take the next step, which was graduation. I I can only say how lucky I am that I had this advisor in college who asked me what I really, really wanted to do. Not like talk about something cool like marketing or maybe you want to design coach catalogs. She asked me so open. I never had answered this question the same way before, but I told her I wanted to be like Martha Stewart because... And not Martha, really. I, I just thought <laughs> she had a business and she helped women. So I was like, OK, well, I have a business and I want to help women. And she had just gotten out of jail. So it was like that really big. Martha was on the upswing. She got her TV show like she was like really hot then. So I was like, all right, I want to be like her. But really, when I thought about it deeper, it wasn't Martha that I really connected with. It was Oprah Winfrey. My mom growing up has always had mm-hmm. Oprah's show on in the background. So in the background of my life, that show has been on for forever. And when I knew this Michelangelo quote 
resonated with me so strongly. I knew I wanted to have an impact and I wanted to help people. And since I had grown up with Oprah in the background, I decided I wanted to have a TV show like Martha and Oprah to help people because that's how you help people according to my 21-year-old self before I knew about blogs or anything like that. So she really bought that idea. She was like, okay, you obviously can do this. You've done the, like such a great job with what I had done with the jewelry business to that point. She gave me carte blanche to go for it. So I did some research. I realized that Martha wrote a book, which ended up helping spark her career from her catering business really to what she did. Really that book that was that turning point that led to everything else. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to graduate and write a book in order to get a TV show in order to help people. This was my logic. So that begins, you know, with this graduation, what am I going to do next? Am I going to start working for someone else? Like my business degree is pretty much training me to do, or, you know, do I do my own thing? Do I just start writing the book right now? What happened? So at first I wanted to write a book about exfoliating stuff. Like you mentioned, I'm big on exfoliating. And that was the most literal translation of the Michelangelo quote I had at the time to go from. So I was like, okay, I'll just help people get rid of stuff. I'll help them make under their lives, which was the first name of my blog. And I was at the time living in a dorm room. So I knew I couldn't be writing about like a kitchen and telling these women that might be much older than me what they should get rid of in their kitchen when I didn't even have one myself. So I was like, all right, gotta start a little smaller. I felt like a green banana. I needed to really get some experience under my belt in the real world in order to have any authority over writing a book like that. I realized if I took the normal job and I tried to write the book on the side, I would end up climbing the corporate ladder and not really doing what I wanted to do. Now, a lot of people I know and work with have small businesses and they do the side hustle on the side. But having experienced myself in college as an intern at Macy's and trying to write the book at night, I was failing so miserably that junior year as my internship was going on. I knew two things. I knew one, I am a very much a morning person and my best thoughts happen in the morning. And I, at the time, I only thought I would work at night. I didn't think to work before work. But at the time, I was like, well, I won't be able to do this very well at night. So it's not probably going to happen. And also, too, I am such a type A, especially back then, I was such a type A people pleaser that I would just climb a ladder if it was presented. I'd want to do such a good job in that corporate job. I'd probably just keep climbing. And I'd end up at the top of this skyscraper. This is what I call it. It's like skyscrapers. I'd end up being on the top of that skyscraper instead of doing the the one that I wanted. So I started Jess LC, my jewelry company at the time, full, full time out of school, not to create a jewelry business. It was just a day job, just like everyone else had day jobs, a lot, or most people have day jobs. It was just a self-employed day job. And I was in control, most importantly, of my time. So I could write in the morning, essentially. So then I started Jess LC full time. I had $700 that I had earned from my business as a college student that I took with me when I moved to Chicago. And people always ask why I moved to Chicago, of all places, since I worked for myself right out of school. And I say it's because I didn't want to have a car payment. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't love driving. or And I actually spent like 10 years not having a car after high school. I went like a decade <laughs> with driving. And actually, it was kind of scared driving again when I did start after like a decade of not doing it. But I knew I wanted to, it was going to be expensive to 
you know, have a car payment and a, a rent while I was starting my business full time. So I decided why not just put that money into a place where I can have public transportation and also a place where I can support myself theoretically from the business that I could get in that city. So I moved to Chicago. I did the jewelry business. And at first, I needed to do everything I possibly could to make sure that I could pay the bills every four weeks. I didn't really focus on the book thing that kind of took a back seat as I just made sure I could pay the bills. And I had many anxiety attacks along the way. I was really kind of bitter for the first few weeks while my boyfriend at the time was getting a paycheck and he knew how he could budget and what he could afford. And I had no clue what I could afford or what I should budget or anything. It really actually was the first time besides the time when I was in college and started reflecting on what was really true and meaningful to me, I really started looking Mm -hmm. at spirituality very seriously. Once I was self-employed and I didn't know whether the bills would be paid every week, that's when my spirituality went to the next level. I had to go to the next level really because otherwise, I don't know what would have got me through all that time with the uncertainty that was in my life. But I kept going and sold the jewelry, would work alone, listening to audiobooks on tape, and then I'd schlep it around to stores. I ended up getting into 15 stores on my own in the first few months, and then it took on sales reps that really took the business to the next level. So the Jess LC kind of arc goes that I got into, because of those sales reps in a huge way, I ended up getting into over 100 stores total cumulatively throughout that next year and took on some assistance, even though I had just personally been an intern very recently. I had my own interns very quickly. And it was kind of a weird thing being like 22 or 23 with interns that were a few years younger. But I realized that really, I had more to teach them than what they knew. So it doesn't really matter how old I was. If I had something to share of value, I shouldn't overthink the age thing too much. Eventually over the years, I got kind of sick of just doing jewelry. Mm -hmm. So I expanded it from just jewelry to handbags, scarves, stationery, iPad covers, and all sorts of different lifestyle stuff that I had interest in. Again, always being the day job. But as I was taking this business to the next level, by 2009, I started to feel like an imposter or a hypocrite, really, because at first everyone thought I was crazy for starting the business. By the way, I'll just also say, when I started in 2007, I only knew one person who had their own business. And she was a 60-year-old woman, or I guess she was probably in her mid-50s then. And I had worked for her actually in college and like part-time. I sold jewelry to her store and then started helping her a little bit before, basically before graduating and moving on to Chicago. And so when I did have one moment of doubt about whether I should keep going, because everyone else thought I was crazy and my peers from school thought I was like pretty much stupid for starting my business, my little jewelry thing full-time. I did have one doubt where I was like really questioning whether I should keep going. And I had to ask her whether I should keep going or not, because she was the only person that I knew that had risked and had the same values, I guess. I didn't really think of it at the time as values, but really she was the only person I knew that was willing to risk what I was willing to risk. So asking anyone else, they would have said, of course, you've tried so hard. Just go find a job. It's no big deal. You really gave it your all. You did your best. But I didn't ask anyone else because they all would have said that because that's what they all essentially kind of were doing. That's just the people I knew. It's not a bad thing against them. It's just who I knew at the time. So when Mm -hmm. I did have this moment, I called my friend who had her own business. Really, I have to thank her again, like my advisor from the beginning. This person also was a huge, I guess, like signpost in my road. She was like, you got to give it a year. And I was only a few months in at that point. So she's like, you got to give it a year. You don't know what's going to happen. 
you can't make that call sooner. And when she said that, it really helped check me and helped me kind of put my nose back to the grindstone mm-hmm. and just keep going. Can I just ask you here, what was what was driving, apart from her obviously stepping into that unofficial mentor role for you here, what was driving you here? Was it that you didn't want, was it really just the, the driver that you didn't want to be working for someone else or could you see the bigger vision with the jewellery? What was the motivation for you at that young age to be continuing on in the face of all these other people having fears and doubts and, and projecting that onto you? What was driving you? Faith. Mm, I love that. It's all it was. It was like I heard that Michelangelo quote. It makes me almost cry when you say that because like it really was. I just knew what I wanted to do. And mm. sorry, <laughs> I don't think no. anyone's cried on the on the show. We've had <laughs> babies on the show. We've had a lot of other things. But um, I just knew I needed to learn that lesson and I needed to then share what I learned with other people because I was so unhappy the way I was trying to do everything the way I was taught and it wasn't working. So the, like I said in the beginning, the jewelry was always very clear. It was my glorified day job. It was the thing that paid the bill so I can be in control of my career and really my time, not so much the career, but my time. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't have this whole people pleasing. I'm going to go climb the ladder person because I have that personality. So I really was like, at least I'm going to be the boss and I'm going to be able to direct that ship rather than just pleasing whoever's above me somewhere else. That was what was driving me. And that's why also the spirituality thing was a huge part for me because that's what helped me believe in it. And you know, there's this moment after that later, I was having an anxiety attack and I felt like an old man and I had really bad insurance. Well, I mean, I had very slim insurance or whatever self-employed I was paying for it myself and I was like oh my gosh I'm having this panic attack I can't even afford to have a panic attack because I don't have good insurance and I'm doing all of this and I in this moment as I'm putting the key in the door going into my boyfriend's apartment I realized I was willing to go through this (laughs) and like here I was and I was thinking I'm upset that I might have a panic attack with bad insurance instead of saying oh my gosh look how hard I've tried let me go take the job. Let me go try to find the job. I think that's why my parents were okay with it is because they knew I had a business degree. Pretty much we're like, I know she'll be able to get a job if this doesn't work out. But I didn't take that route. And like I was someone at that point in college who I trained for two marathons and didn't run either one in college because I had this perfectionist ideal that my goal my goal was to run the marathon in four hours and 20 minutes. And I wouldn't run them because I didn't believe deep down that I could finish in that time. And I thought instead of going slower and God forbid, like getting five hours even on the marathon, I would just quit. I would like walk off at mile 18. That's how perfectionistic I was at that point. And to see myself go through all the ups and downs from that first few months of the business, there was this moment of really great power. And to see like, look, Jess, you're not that person that you used to be like, you're willing to go through this. And that's what I realized. As long as you just keep going, it's not over. And I started to settle in and go, well, whatever comes, I know I'm willing to go through it. So it doesn't really matter what comes. What matters is that I'm willing to keep going. Mm, such a defining moment, isn't it? That that total contrast between this other big goal or vision that you'd set for yourself to run a marathon or to run two marathons and to do all the hard work and then not show up for the the main event because of the perfectionism and then to have the complete contrast where you had this business at at 
this young age and you are continuing to show up even in the face of having panic attacks and, and all of that stuff going on and there was something there that was saying just keep going, just keep doing this even, you know, in the midst of all that doubt. Love that. Such a pivotal moment. It is. And that's why it's something someone once asked me in an email, like, what should I do? And I and I was like, you know what I realized? It's like, it's the same thing everyone needs to do. You need to start where you are and you need to just keep going. And that doesn't mean you do the same thing the rest of your life at all. Obviously, I've done like 17 things since this moment I'm talking about. But it means that as long as you keep going, it's not over. And as long as you keep course correcting as you go, you're going to end up where you need to be. And life will actually self-correct too. So if you're not where you should be, it will fail your way to where you should be. You won't be able to keep going the wrong way long enough. I love this quote by Marianne Williamson. She wrote about how it's like our lives have these like GPS systems. And if there's something we're supposed to do, as long as we keep taking the wrong turns, it'll just keep redirecting from whatever wrong turn we've taken. So that's kind of on our side as well. And I've had that play out in other parts of my life later after this point. But just to kind of keep moving on from there, I'll just say the accessory business was great. But in 2009, after it started to really, you know, get into 100 stores, had some girls helping me and, you know, hired part-time help to make the jewelry and had these interns and stuff, I really pretty much started to feel like a hypocrite because people started respecting, ironically, what I was doing, but then they were respecting the business. They weren't really seeing me do what I set out to do. So then I started realizing this whole, you know, skyscraper analogy comes back into play. I was like, man, maybe I'll be a millionaire jewelry owner by the time I'm 30 (laughs) instead of doing that book and that work that I wanted to do with the Michelangelo stuff. So also when the recession was like really huge. So I was so lucky that I got my business started in 2007 and I started this blog in order to write this proposal because I started to feel like the hypocrite. So I was like, all right, Jess, you got to start doing something now. Yeah, your business is you know, somewhat under control. You're paying the bills. Let's get back to the real work. So I started the proposal as a blog. And this is make under, make under Your Life? Yes. And I didn't plan for anyone to read it. I just thought it'd be easier than staring at a Word document all the time. So I was like, all right, instead of me taking the daunting task of writing a proposal, I'm just going to start documenting my own decisions to make under my life throughout this year. And then I'll somehow weave that into a proposal later and present it to a publisher. So I started the blog and I also, at the same time, totally unrelated, but it's so silly when you look back on it because you're like, obviously this is gonna happen, but I had no idea at the time. I actually decided to advertise Jess LC on a blog called Cup of Joe and just kind of like try to promote the business online for the first time instead of trying to sell through stores. So I did this right as I started the proposal, you know, website, essentially the blog. And of course, when blog readers go over to the jewelry site, they're going to click on the link blog. I didn't know that at all. I realized in that moment, I didn't need to have a book deal and a television show to help people. Oh my gosh, like what a (laughs) earth shattering conclusion. Lightning bolt. (laughs) Exactly. So I finally was like, hold the phone. I don't need to wait till X, Y, and Z gatekeepers tell me I can do this. I'm going to sit in this tiny tiny little studio apartment in Chicago. And I'm going to spend what became half my day writing on this blog (laughs) and helping people, whoever the 1754, 500, whoever's going to read it, how many people I'm going to help them every day instead of waiting till I have some book or some TV show. And I immediately focused where I was and I did what I can. And that's something I talk with a lot about my clients, especially when I did the business consulting. It's like, you got to start where you are and help in the present moment, however you can. And that was what it looked like for me 
for several years. I think it was about two or three years. I just did that and I sold jewelry. What sort of content were you producing at that point in time? Was this leading towards what is now, you know, your life with intention course? Was it that kind of content? Yeah, it was kind of like the caveman version. It had bones. It had similar bones. It really did. It was the cave. It was like the first. I actually feel like that whole journey of eight years worth this content that I've been working on and personally going through, as you can hear this journey, you're like, there's a lot of self-discovery and self-development going on to get through all of this. And Basically, that was the first bone. I feel like an archaeologist and I've been for the last eight years discovering this dinosaur, if you will. And that was the first time I had a few ribs of the dinosaur. And I did use them. Again, I really leaned on that initial, very literal interpretation of Michelangelo's quote about removing excess layers. So that was a big thing for me at first. And the content was very focused on exfoliating possessions and making under your physical home. And I loved interiors my whole life. So Mm -hmm. that was a really natural place for me. And actually, there are listeners here that probably some of them uh, probably even remember those days and remember doing end of the week exfoliations and those kind of things. But over time, it kind of broadened, especially as my own experience with the work I was doing and studying personally to be much more than that. But yeah, there was there was some ancestral bones to the work starting then. <laughs> so I did that. And then people started asking me yeah. with the whole recession and the advent of blogs and online businesses, which I kind of became somewhat of an early one, not crazy early, but earlier than a lot of people. So I had done that advertising online and I just started caring more about that than my sales reps. And I really didn't want to have someone else have that much control. So I really focused as I started this blog and had done this blogging advertising for the business, I just decided to start promoting my business online and selling directly to people there. So I shifted my focus and it was beautiful because I could spend my whole day online, whether I was promoting jewelry or my products or whether I was writing and helping people. Over time, those people that saw that I had the business and were reading the blog started asking me to help them with their businesses because they started to have aspirations for that. Then I realized that's my first way to help people live with intention is to help them with their businesses. So that's what I did initially. And that business consulting eventually allowed me to close Jess LC. I finally, after five years of doing it full time, I was able to get to the point where my income from the business consulting and the traveling workshops I ended up creating was equaling the income I was earning from Jess LC. And it really got to this breaking point where I couldn't do both on my own the way I had been doing it. So I was going to hire a manager for Jess LC right after I got back from my wedding, which my husband and I eloped in Paris. And I was going to hire this manager and she canceled. I had my interns, by the way, who are amazing. Caitlin Brown's probably one of them listening right now to the show. And Kylie, they interviewed all these girls for my manager role for Jess LC while I was gone. They picked the perfect person while I was gone. And I they sold me on her. She was the right person for this job. And she canceled because she got a different job before I even had a chance to hire her or meet her. And I was crushed. But I did a gut check and I asked myself, why on earth was this happening? I was like, there's no way I can keep doing this another day. And I always say there's if you hear something that heartbreaking, like a no, that's not going to happen in your life. There's one of three reasons. Not right now the right one or not what would make you really happy. And I knew I couldn't wait another day. (laughs) So that wasn't the no. I knew that this person was the one and it was going to be very hard to find anyone else that had similar characteristics and would be able to handle what I was looking for. So then I was left with not what would make you really happy. And I was like, well, how on earth could this be 
not what would make me really happy. It's exactly what I need to make me happy. I asked my gut, literally asked the question, is this a sign that I should close Jess LC? And I heard the, a very quiet yes in my stomach. Mm. <laughs> and I immediately discredited it and kept blow drying yeah. my hair. I didn't believe it. And my ego was like, no, no, that's not it. That's not it at all. I've never thought that before. But then I questioned it. I was like, why have I never thought that before? If that's what I just made up and my gut didn't really tell me to do that, how could that be possible? And then I just reevaluated and I said, oh my gosh, this is what I need. And I felt this flood of relief. I finally could be myself. I didn't have to keep doing this whole jewelry thing and lugging around this whole designer label on my career. I could just help people. And it was huge. And my husband was like, all right, as long as you can pay the bills, you know, the way we've budgeted with what you've been earning from Jess LC from this other stuff, go for it. And I had only for one month, but I had been doing it long enough that I could say, okay, I'm ready to do it. This is happening. So I closed SLC, even though it was very successful and a lot of people were surprised or upset that I did it. I just knew it was the, it was time because my gut told me to. Time to move, time to take that next step. Um, So obviously we're on the live this show right now chatting about your journey so far and, and life with intention. What's been the role of The Lively Show in your career? Because you have these conversations with inspirational people. It very much reminds me now back to your Oprah days <laughs> and the, the TV stuff, the sitting down in, in conversation online with inspiring people. So tell me a little bit about how that all came about. Yeah. So the show itself, it kind of does go back to that whole idea of the Oprah show, really, because I wanted to have the show and I always thought that would be a really awesome thing. I love speaking. I love talking to people and I didn't need to have a talk show per se, but I just did initially always think that that would be the method that I would use to help people. But here I was blogging because that's what I could do in the moment. And I kind of got a whiff of the whole podcast thing and the potential to kind of create the audio version of that show I would theoretically one day like to create on television. So I decided to give it a shot. And the impact of it, I think people have kind of asked me actually lately, so what is this show? Like, is it business? Is it not business? And really it goes back to the intro, which says to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your every day. Now, the guests that I have on the show may not have the same beliefs and views on intention that I have. So the idea of intention may look different for different people, depending on where they are in their lives that I interview. But I always hope that one of those three characteristics really shines through in the shows. It will either make your day happier through uplifting. It will inspire you if it's a a really amazing story, or we'll talk about intention in some way or another. So I'm trying not to get so attached to any specific label. And my husband, Mr. Lively, really helps me with this. Um, This weekend, actually, he's like, Jess, it's the Lively show. You don't have to put this in some box and you don't have to have one specific label. And when I do think back to Oprah's show, I mean, she did bra fittings and she had Bosnian refugees on and it was all over the place when you really think about it. But all of the shows helped lift the level of consciousness. That was her big mission. And I feel like I have a similar one. I'm doing it in my own way with my own audience. I don't try to interview celebrities. I instead find the interesting celebrities of our time to be these amazing people that people can connect to online. So I find people that people are aware of and would love to hear from. But I also make sure that it's not just about how, you know, 
big of this person can I have on the show? But also what stories do I want to share and what conversations do I want to have that people may not have heard of before with people they may not have heard of before as well. So I try to keep that at the forefront. And just now I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to have the conversations that I believe will help raise the consciousness. I'm not trying to overthink it too much anymore. Yeah. And and you do such a beautiful job of illuminating various people's stories. So thank you for for the work that you do on this show. So you just mentioned before your approach to intention, and I wanted to dig a little deeper into that. Now I've had a, I'm very lucky to have had a backstage run through of, of your upcoming Life with Intention program. And I can honestly say that it is like nothing I have ever seen before. It's I said this to you. I have. Wait, are you being real, though? Because I know that sounds like an infomercial. <laughs> I, I, I know that does sound like an infomercial, but I've said this to you many times. This is really profound, powerful work. And what immediately struck me when you were running me through it is the very obvious fact that this is stuff that you have lived. So it's it's very easy to read something in a book or to go to a weekend workshop and then write about it and, and pretend that that's your truth or that's something that you've come up with. For you, when you were speaking and showing me through this program, what was so obvious to me was this is eight years of really comprehensive self-discovery. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is big stuff. I wanted to ask you, in your opinion, I mean, I know from my perspective, but in your opinion, what does make the program unique and what you're wanting to teach people about living with intention? Yeah. So 14 months ago, I asked my gut what I should do next. And that was the first time I ever asked it. And I heard this answer, which was very far from the business consulting that I was doing at the time. And I knew it was about this work. So I spent all my time from that 14 months ago message from my gut working on this and really doing the work and really doing that archaeology because I'd been consuming a lot of the content. And yes, I had been sharing some of it, but it wasn't that really in-depth, really the real work to really compile and to form my own thoughts and my own perspective. And really what I feel like I've done is taken all of that study from many different areas, business, history, philosophy, Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy, religion, spirituality, and personal development world, looked at it all, found the things that don't work from personal experience and just watching from the historical perspective, and then tried to weave together what it means to, I guess, in a sense, live our best life, but really we're basically taught that if we succeed at getting the things we want to have and do, then we will be happy. So I think that's kind of what's been out there in a very huge way. And there are other things that are saying that it's different. There's different ways to do it. So there's a lot of different methodologies that are very common, like vision boards and goal lists and stuff. And those things often fail quite miserably, which I explained why in the class. But those things aren't getting us to what we really want. And I tried to basically weave together and explain why those things don't work in the long run. They might short term make us happy, but in the long term, we're still lacking and we're still chasing and they're still striving. And there's nothing really wrong with working hard, but when it's coming from the wrong motivation, it's going to give us the sense of distraction, stress. It's going to be hard to be present. And it's even actually going to be hard to be grateful for what we have because we're too busy chasing what we want next. So I was really trying to find that Michelangelo perspective and 
put it into practical terms because people like Eckhart Tolle are wonderful. And I make sure that my work cooperates with things that I believe to be universally true. But at the same time, people can be a little bit ethereal about these concepts and it's hard to put it into practice on your day-to-day when it comes to your possessions or your personal habits, your relationships or your career. So I try to really pull it all together, say it very simply, which is something I've always tried to do on the blog is to take concepts Mm -hmm. that seem huge and put them into practical terms and then give a process to how to apply it practically to every area of your life. And it was hard to learn how to explain the value of it, but really it is a transformation to the approach of anything we do in life. And the reason I asked you to interview me and to know about the class, because I didn't want you to interview me without knowing what I was doing. I really wanted you because I believe you too have done the work and are someone who maybe hasn't come to the same conclusions specifically exactly the way I have, but I knew that you would be someone who could identify whether this really was real or whether this was just a little bit misguided. So that's why I had you personally. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I just go back to my point that it is incredibly thoughtful, the work that you've created. It is, and I, I honestly say that hand on heart, that it's like nothing I've ever seen before. It really struck me as being, so ground practical and useful and it, it like you say it's bringing these universal truths into something that makes sense and, and you've simplified it without losing the, the essence of it so I'm, I'm just so impressed with what you've created I wanted to ask you as well you have a you, well you seem to have a specific point of view when it comes to purpose and that's a big one and I know that from working with my own clients is that passion and and what's my purpose in life? What am I here to do is such a huge question that we all seem to ask ourselves at some point or another. So can you share a little bit on your point of view there? Yeah. So actually, this is so funny. So the other day I was trying to fall asleep and I had this like thing happened and this never has happened before. So this is not like, oh, Jess gets this all the time. But I finally was able to say it in the way better, I think, than I've ever been able to say it before, more succinctly. So people keep looking for what their purpose is in the things that they do. Because there's three levels of success, which I go over through the course. And the second level is doing. And I think our society, and especially Gen Mm -hmm. Y, is very trapped in the doing level of success. And so when we think of purpose, we think it's what we do. And it's not. It's not that. It's just like Michelangelo. That's like, looking at the stone and saying, how do I make this a statue of David versus how do I reveal the statue of David? Purpose is within us and we bring it to our present moment and however we can serve right now. So it's not about being a stationary designer. It's not about being a musician. It's not about being a writer. It's not about any of those things. It's about bringing our service to the present moment. That's it. And it's like, we can do many different things over the course of our lives. Mm, I love that. The problem when we think it's like, uh, my purpose is to be a writer. Well, what happens if you can't write? You know, you could find ways. There's a lot of stories of writers who have found like blinking in order to write if they're paralyzed. So like, maybe let's look at it a different way. I always say Christopher Reeves, right? Christopher Reeves could have thought his purpose was to be an actor. He was Superman. You know, he was an actor. Everyone really lauded him. He's very successful with it. So you could say my purpose in life is to be an actor. Well, what happens when he got in that accident and he could no longer act? Did he no longer have a purpose in life? Or what if when he was eight years old and he wasn't acting, did he not have a purpose then? God forbid. What if he had died at eight? Did he not have a purpose in life? There's such a small minded way to look at purpose as what we do because (laughs) doing is something we may or may not be able to do our whole lives, nor should we. So 
the cool thing about the Christopher Reeve story, I actually ended up looking him up because I always just use that as like my example of like, obviously it can't always be one thing. But then I really looked into what happened after his accident. He started to help people with spinal cord injuries through research grants and awareness, which was so beautiful because he served in the present moment with his capabilities at that time. He didn't let it stop him. And another great example is my favorite historical figure, Benjamin Franklin, who my dog is named after. And Benjamin Franklin did a million different things. There's no way you could give him just one purpose. And it's because the purpose wasn't in what he did. It was in what he brought to the things that he did. You know, Michelangelo's purpose. The Holy Grail. Yeah, Michelangelo's purpose was not to be a sculptor. His purpose was to serve in the way that he could. And he happened to be very talented at sculpting. So he did that for a while. Like, that's it. It's it's such a beautiful distinction between the purpose being that holy grail or that's some, something we have to find out there that's that's constantly 10 steps in front of us versus purposeful living and showing up in each and every moment with a sense of purpose or a desire to serve or however that looks for you in your life. So love that you, you go into that and, and do talk about that in your course because I think it is one of those questions that I'm constantly hearing, I'm sure you are too, and for people to know that they can actually be living with purpose in any given moment. That realization alone is is quite profound. Uh, So I just wanted to ask you, you've had an incredible journey. Tell us a little bit about the doubts or resistance that you've had to face in your career because you have really, to me, you've really had fear show up many times and you've continued to lean into it rather than lean away from it. Tell us about those doubts. Tell us about the resistance that's popped up. It's so interesting that you mentioned career because I often try to steer away from career in this show because people go to it so much when I interview self-employed people because it's such a huge part of their lives. In life, exactly. I'll say from the, I'll do from both. So I'll say on career side, I think there was definitely doubts in the beginning that, you know, this was going to pay the bills really, right? When I was just starting. And over time, I just kept going and I just started to deal with the doubts. They were just there. I just was like, oh, there's my buddies, the doubts again. They were really my buddies, but it was like, yeah, that's still there. It's not changing. So I just kind of kept going through it. And this sounds weird, but from the career standpoint, I guess I've had doubts, but really the doubts have come when my ego has been in control of my career. So I've really doubted things when it's been an egoic decision. And I mentioned this in the Whitney English episode. I used to do some traveling workshops and I wanted to help people traveling it's wholeheartedly, but I just kind of decided that's what I should do. I didn't really feel that in my gut that that was the timing or the, the way that I should do it. I just really wanted to be cool like Brie Emery and have traveling workshops. So I later doubted whether I should do that because it wasn't financially successful. I helped a lot of people. I had a lot of great experiences, but I didn't have the audience that could afford to pay the rates it would cost to really put on at full capacity that kind of event. So I lost a bunch of money and it was really just because my ego decided to do something rather than asking my gut. But when I asked my gut, the ego will freak out about the doubts all day long about whether or not there'll be money or whatever, but I don't at a core level, have a lot of doubts from that place. And in the life side, I would say there's a lot of resistance over my body for those nine years with my eating and the struggles there. So 
there was a lot of resistance about letting go and letting my intuition run the show when it came to eating instead of being in control, counting calories or going to a nutritionist or doing all these things to kind of fix an outcome that was terrifying to let go because there's so much resistance to it. My ego really, really had this attachment to the idea that if I weighed a certain amount that I'd be happy. And if I looked a certain way that I'd be happy, it was terrifying to let go of that. Or not only to let go, but to still feel that there was that drive there, but to not listen to it anymore. So that was a huge part for me. And it was actually the first time I actually did the real work that I I teach in life with intention, but it really transformed. It was the first thing I baby crawled my way into figuring out how to do that living from a values-based perspective. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful. How do you then, you know, how do you take care of yourself day to day and, and how do you prevent burnout? Because running our own businesses, that can be a, a very big thing for people not to completely throw themselves 100% into the business and forget about the other parts of their life. How do you prevent that happening? Well, it's interesting. So people, when I teach them the concepts in the class, they'll inevitably say, when, you know, well, if I stop being motivated by X, Y, and Z stuff, which, you know, we talk about, there's a lot of value checking there. And there's a lot of deep introspection about things. They kind of question, well, will I achieve as much? And when you live from your values and you do the life and intention approach, basically, you drop a lot of things that weren't really value-based to begin with, that were just mirages, if you will, and they were these shiny pennies that we can chase forever. So when you drop those, that whitens your workload to a degree, and then you're able to work very diligently towards your values in the present moment without quite the same struggle, but it can be a lot of work. This last year, I will say, before moving from Chicago, I worked my butt off to get this career essentially in a whole new direction. I mean, last fall, one year ago, I was still doing business consulting while trying to do this other stuff on the side. And I realized I wasn't getting very far with this other stuff. So I stopped the business consulting against everyone's what they wanted me to do. They all wanted me to keep doing it so they could keep working with me. But I knew that my gut told me to do otherwise. So I just let it go. And in order to do what my gut told me. Okay, so I worked very hard in Chicago. And I really just, I mean, a lot of nights and well, not tons of nights, but a lot of weekends with my husband building new websites and redirecting this focus and doing this work to get this course started in its first version in the winter and doing those simplified versions of the class. And then this whole summer revamping it to this whole new level. I've hired a curriculum designer. I'm working with an illustrator to make these videos fun and entertaining and easy to understand and listen to. And I'm working with a graphic designer to help build the website and the workbook. So I have like this whole team and Mr. Lively is building this private website and custom forum for the class. So this can be the most powerful and easy and fun experience possible to do this really important work. It was a lot of work, but I'll say it didn't wear me out as long as I took breaks when I needed and didn't add non-value based activities to my life. So I think that was a big thing. And now that I'm in Austin, I will say it's kind of shifted even more. So now I no longer Mm. feel, I think this experience here, it's just so much more laid back. And for my type A personality, it's really nice to just be in a place that's really calming me rather than adding to the stress that it felt like in Chicago being on a busy street and constantly hearing sirens and noise every day where I worked next to me, literally like going on, I was in the first floor of a major street and it was just constant here. I feel the sense of, I will still keep doing values-based work, but I'm not going to push myself too hard 
and I'm not going to add things to my life since we've simplified by moving. We know no one and we have no real infrastructure here. So we're just being very selective to not add things that would not be a value-based thing as much as possible. So now I'm just working on doing less, but the things that I do are more value-driven. Yeah, I know. what I hear there is support. You've got you're supported by your location, you're supported by your environment, the people around you, and you're also supporting yourself by really living from those values instead of reaching for the shiny objects and the ego egoic based goals that you know might look good on paper but don't feel good. So they're actually depleting you. So I, I love that. I love that sense of support you've created in your life. So Jess, I just want to wrap up. This has been fascinating. I've learned so much about you and your journey and I'm sure your audience are going to absolutely love hearing more about that as well. But can you just tell us, leave us with some wise words, what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? Start where you are. And I don't care where it is. I don't care what excuses you have for why you can't start where you are. If you're in a tiny studio apartment in Chicago and it's not quite what you want and really the neighbors are smelly and the whole thing just kind of sucks, (laughs) you start there. And if you have no one reading your blog and you don't know if anyone will, you start there. You just start where you are. If you're, you know, your ego's for nine years told you you need to weigh a certain amount, you start there. You just start where you are and you just keep going. And it doesn't mean you do the same thing. It means that you stop whatever you're doing the moment your gut tells you to do something else. But you start where you are and you just keep going. And as you see yourself keep going, the doubts don't go away, but you just get better at dealing with them and you just keep going. And you get finally to a point where you trust yourself to keep going more than you trust listening to the doubts. Yes, I love that. <laughs> Perfect. What a, what a way to finish. Thank you so much, Jess. This has been a huge honor. And I just know that people are going to get so much value out of this. Thank you. And thank you, Rachel. I really appreciate I really appreciate your energy, your love. And really, thank you for being on the show and hosting. My pleasure. And there you have it. Thank you, Rachel, so much for coming on the show and being such a gracious, gracious host. And thank you guys for listening. As I mentioned earlier, Life with Intention Online is live and enrollment is going on now. In fact, there's actually a special early bird discount that's going on only until tomorrow. This rate is the lowest I ever planned to offer this course ever. So if you're interested in it, please hop over to lifewithintentiononline.com. But quickly, I'll give you a little bit of background for those that might be driving or out and about and can't go to the website right away. Life with Intention Online is a six-week online course. There will be four module weeks and two intention implementation weeks, which you can either use to really apply the concepts and report back, or you can kind of take them as break weeks if you have other things going on. If during September 29th through November 7th, you're busy, you're going to have two total weeks in there to catch up on other information and kind of take things at your own pace. And since you have lifetime access, if this period of time is not great for you, I definitely suggest if you're looking to do it on a budget to sign up now anyways, there's two payment plans available too. And the nice thing about the lifetime access is just like the alumni that signed up for this course early on this year and had a very simplified experience, you get lifetime access. So as I continue to take what is already an awesome program that is now going to be launching to the next level, you're going to continue to get those benefits. It's been something that a lot of people were surprised I was going to offer that have taken the class before in the winter. They actually were, some of them were re-signing up already to take the class again, but I can't tell you guys enough how I'm here to serve you with this material. It's yours once you have it. In addition to the modules, 
and they're video modules that are really fun. I've hired an illustrator to help illustrate and take these concepts to like, they're gonna be fun, short videos. There'll be a collection each week of them. So it'll be really easy to work your way through and really fun and easy to go back and rewatch whenever you need a refresher course. And there'll be custom workbooks as well to go with it. And for some people, even more importantly, there will be a custom member site and private forum. Mr. Lively is a programmer, my husband, and he has spent a lot of time building this private forum and site and putting it all together in a great way so that our experience will be as awesome as possible. The private forum is awesome because you can create accountability partnerships there. You can create mastermind groups. I know there'll be probably a portion of students who are small business owners, even though the course is not specifically geared towards small business, there won't be any marketing advice. It's really not about that. But I have a feeling that from this audience, there are going to be some of those people. So there'll be mastermind group availability. So you guys can create business owner groups. You can create groups on personal habit, things you're working on. You can create groups around friendships and relationships. It's your possessions. It's going to be a really fun place to meet new people near you and across the world. It's a really fun audience. We already have eight countries represented so far. So as I mentioned, there'll be an early bird discount until tomorrow on Friday, September 12th only, but enrollment is open until September 24th. If you don't have a chance to sign up before Friday, that's totally fine. It will be open until September 24th. And for every 10 students that sign up for Life with Intention Online, one scholarship will be offered to a girl in Sierra Leone to get access to education through doitinaddress.com. I really wanted to make sure that this class not only benefited you and myself, but had a broader impact as well. And I can't think of a better way than to give girls in a very underserved area access to education and to change their lives as well. So remember, every time someone signs up, that means one-tenth of a student scholarship is created as well. In addition, we already have well over 100 students so far, including the alumni from the first classes and the new students. So already there's a huge community ready and excited to get started. And I hope that you consider this. And I don't want to sell you on this. I'd really ask you from my bottom of my heart to do a gut check. As always, if you've been listening to me for any period of time, I really go back to that. I've done a lot of introspection. I don't want to sell this class to anyone who doesn't need it, but I deeply believe that if you consider this course and your gut tells you to take it, I highly, highly recommend that you do. If you have any hesitation on a very deep gut level, I definitely ask you to bow out and I will be here to serve you in other ways through the blog and the podcast. But again, if your gut is telling you yes, please sign up. I believe that our guts know the best for us. So I hope you take some time to do some reflection there and see if it feels like the right fit for you. I'll see you next week.